to the Sojourn Church podcast. We are glad you are here, and thanks for listening. As a church, we exist to exalt and enjoy the supremacy of Jesus Christ in all things, equip the saints, and extend the gospel to all people by reproducing disciples and churches for the glory of God. More information about the life and mission of Sojourn Church can be found at SojournTulsa.org. That's S-O-J-O-U-R-N, Tulsa.org. We are going to be looking at um, Luke chapter 18. If you want to turn your Bibles there or open up your device, or um, um, and we will also have it provided on the screen, uh, all these verses. And this is that, like Brad had said, uh, the... the parable of the persistent widow. Um, and so I want to do a little bit of uh, backtracking into the context of this. Um, you, would, you wouldn't probably catch on to it unless you really kind of read 17 and 18 together. Uh, but the context of this and the way that it fits together doesn't necessarily fit the way that um, the King James Bible um, and then the way that they first started uh, putting um, paragraphs and uh, verses together. But um, this goes back into Luke chapter 17. Um, and, and what happened in Luke chapter 17 is they had actually dipped into this eschatological uh, discussion. And, and I think it started with actually the Pharisees um, actually are the ones who initially asked Jesus this question on, are you about to res- uh, restore your kingdom? Are you about to bring your kingdom in? And so you can go back and read some of that in uh, verse, I mean, in chapter 17. But um, and then we get into our parable, which actually concludes that section on this eschatological idea that, that he was just talking about. Um, and, and it starts with that, that, that picture that we're going to see in the section we're reading where Luke gives us a little commentary, and he says um, that they ought always to pray and not to lose heart. So the Pharisees had brought up this idea, is your kingdom about to come? And then he goes into several things there, and you can read chapter 17. And then he pulls the disciples aside, and, and Luke tells us, and he told them these things so that they would pray and not lose heart because the kingdom's not coming in the way that they're thinking. The kingdom's not coming in the way they're thinking. Just repeatedly, you see that. And so remember, that was one of the, the big misunderstandings that Jesus was going to be this, or the Messiah was going to be this powerful military-type leader that was going to bring on this army, overthrow the Roman government, and finally Israel will be established again like it was under David and Solomon's kingdom. Rebuild Jerusalem, rebuild the temple, um, all these things that, that they were hoping for and putting their, their trust in and their rest in. And Jesus pulls the disciples aside and says, hey, it's, it's not going to be like that. I've told you repeatedly, I'm going to be put to death. And the one who follows me, it's going to be difficult. And you're going to need to pray and not lose heart because things are going to happen that's going to tend to make you want to lose heart. So that's kind of the, um, the, the underlying context there. So let's read that in, in Luke 17. Um, and I'm sorry, Luke 18. We'll go to Luke 18, um, 1 through 8 there. Um, let, let me go back. Let me actually go back and read 17, 20 through 21, just so you'll get a little bit of a picture there. Um, being asked by the Pharisees when the kingdom of God would come, he answered them, the kingdom of God is not coming in ways that can be observed. Nor will they say, look, here it is, or there. For behold, the kingdom of God is in the midst of you. So that idea is what he lays out in answer to the Pharisees. And then he, he pulls the, you find out in the rest of chapter 17, that he pulls the disciples together. And then let's read in Luke 18. And he told them a parable to the effect that they ought always to pray and not lose heart. He said, in a certain city, there was a judge who neither feared God nor respected man. And there was a widow in that city who kept coming to him and saying, give me justice against my adversary. For a while he refused, but afterward he said to himself, though I neither fear God nor respect man, yet because this widow keeps bothering me, I will give her justice so that she will not beat me down with her continual coming. And the Lord said, hear what the unrighteous judge says. And will not God give justice to his elect who cry to him day and night? Will he delay long over them? I tell you, 
He will give justice to them speedily. Nevertheless, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on the earth? So let's pray. Father, we thank you again for helping us understand what Jesus is teaching these original disciples, what you were building into the foundation of the church, that there was this idea of the kingdom coming in a powerful earthly government, socioeconomic force, and yet Jesus was showing them that, that the kingdom's not coming in those ways. Would you help us to understand what that means for us today? to take the same message that Jesus was giving his followers, his close followers, his disciples. Would you help us to understand what that that mindset means for us today? Would you help us to maybe lay down some of our ideas about what what the kingdom would mean in, in winning in our own lives and winning in this government and winning in this country and winning in this world, and yet we see our king who came and lost and suffered and died. Would you give us... Um, beautiful pictures of what the kingdom can be in the midst of a, a dark world. Would you let us see the beautiful light that you provide? We ask for you to guide us through that. In your name we pray, amen. So um, as I said, back in the context of Luke 17, being asked by those Pharisees uh, of what this kingdom was going to be like, and they begin with that serious question, about the kingdom being established. And Jesus then, as he pulls those disciples aside, he's repeatedly told them, I'm going to be betrayed. I'm going to be taken aside and killed by the chief priests. And so those are the religious leaders. And so that's a really weird thing for the religious elite, the people that everyone respected and kind of fearfully respected. They knew they had power and they had these ties into the government. So you've got a a main group of the people, the, the common people, and the people they look to for spirituality The voices of God were tied into what? The Roman government. And so the ones that were saying, hey, here's the way of God, and we're expecting this kingdom to come, and yet there was this intermingling. And Jesus was going, you're missing it. That's not it at all. That's not it at all. This this kingdom is already here. It's in your hearts. It's not going to be showing up in those type places. Um, he tells them how, and then he goes in, into chapter 17, he even goes into some stories, uh, kind of these scary stories, like, hey, they just ask a simple question, is this, is this coming now? And he goes into those stories that are kind of like, you better be ready right now. You better be ready every moment looking to the Lord. And so he goes into the this, this story of Noah. And he goes into the story of Lot in chapter 17. And, and if you remember um, Lot's wife who, who turned back, and he's going, don't do that. You know the story. Keep your eyes on, on me and the kingdom. Don't be caught up in these things. Um, so kind of some creepy language there. And then he speaks of uh, um, the famous statements that he says a few times in the different gospels. He who keeps his life loses it. But he who gives up his life ends up keeping it. And so, um, man, I, I just wonder in our kind of mainstream picture of American life and my life trajectory. We just kind of put the Jesus t-shirt on. We put the Mardell sticker on our car. And so now we just Christianize everything that we're going to live for. And I just wonder if if God's going, no, that's your idea of what life was going to be and your idea of what I was supposed to do for your life. And I'm saying the kingdom looks different than that. It's not that your, your life has to be just, just mulch, and it doesn't mean that your life has to be you lose all your jobs or you sell everything and you, you live on the streets or anything, but just if your idea of the successful Christian American life is this, maybe you have more of an idea of, of what those religious elite, and they're tied into the, the Roman government there. Maybe that, that's where you're more leaning, and I'm saying that's not what it looks like at all. Um, and so there's many, 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 many themes like that. It's not just this parable. It's not just this context. Jesus does that repeatedly, wanting to show them, I- I'm set apart from what you think of these worldly powers. I'm set apart in that. Where are you placing your hope? And then he comes to this section to say, um, be a people of prayer. Be praying and do not lose heart. That, that's going to cause you to lose heart. If you're putting your hope in that, those voices, that's going to cause you to lose heart. So the main idea that we're seeing here is because God is faithful, we can pray and rest in him. 
intervening in our lives and not lose heart. Because at the end of this, so if you, if you do pray, what are you doing? What are we actually, it's not just him meeting our needs. He already knows our needs. What are we getting in prayer? It's communion with God. And we've said repeatedly in these parables, Jesus was saying, it's me. Emmanuel, God with us. What was the Old Testament? What was Adam and Eve? They sinned. God says, hey, where are you? Meaning, how are you separated from me? What happened? It was you. And I'm coming rescuing you. I'm coming redeeming. Let's slaughter an animal and give you skins to wear for your shame and guilt. And then I am restoring that. And there's a blood sacrifice to redeem for sin. And the, and the end result is you get me again. You get me again. We know that's the Old Testament picture of God with us in that idea of whether it's Moses and the people being ripped out of, of Egypt. Why? So they could worship God in freedom and so being oppressed. Um, and so that, that idea, repeatedly God says in the Old Testament, when he wants people to know him, what does he say? Do you not remember me? The God of what? Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, who brought you out of the land of slavery, who brought you out of it. He, he's not even saying, hey, I'm going to let you know later on about a, a, a son being born who's going to die on the cross. He was like, here's what I want you to know of me. I'm a God who redeems and restores. And in the midst of really bad situations, I'm still bringing redemption and hope. And so that's the same idea. We get God, this idea of God with us. Um, Jesus is showing that to them. And because God is faithful, we can pray, and this idea of, now, if I'm praying, I'm resting in my communion with him. Stuff's still hitting. Stuff's still going on in life. Bad things happen in families, neighborhoods, communities, um, schools, um, the world, our governments, but I'm resting in him. So what a beautiful thing that he lays out there knowing that's what we're going to be tested by. The very opposite of not praying and losing heart would be a flourishing healthy, enjoyable relationship where we're communing with God and resting in him. So that's the direct opposite of not praying and losing heart. And so he had just told them all this bad news and then said, you're going to need to pray. You're going to, I've showed you guys, this is what we need to pray and this, we don't lose heart. Um, so thinking through that, maybe a good question for you to think through. And I know we answer this quickly in our head. But maybe this week, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, you get 10 minutes just to pull aside and really type into your phone, write it out. So what causes you not to pray? Just think through that. What, what causes you not to pray? Jesus says, you're going to need to pray. What causes you not to pray? What causes you to lose heart? Remember, we went through the series and we, we, act, we looked at, at that idea of um, know yourself and, and your doctrine. Know how you respond and how you're supposed to respond according to a, a biblical um, framework. And so in that, what causes you to lose heart? Sometimes we, we don't even realize. People don't realize what causes them to lose heart. People don't realize what causes them not to pray. So here's some, some you, you could have 10 of these, you could have five, but here's some big categories that might be helpful to think through. Um, so first of all, when life is not turning out like you thought it would, and so many people may not really think about that. They just keep going through life and they're frustrated and they're upset and, and things are kind of confusing. But when life is not turning out like you thought it would, the temptation is going to be to lose heart. And that hits really close to home when your beautiful idea and your, 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 your dreams of family and marriage and, and children and then a miscarriage comes, and it just destroys that. Or um, even your extended family, something happens with your, your parents' health, it just falls apart, and you go, this, this is not what it's supposed to be. It's supposed to be this picture with this dad and this mom as the grandparents, and, and these, this grown child and grown child and grown child and grown child, and all the grandkids, and they're standing by this beautiful tree, and there's you know 26 grandkids, and that's what it's supposed to be. And it makes you lose heart. So that's one, when life is not turning out like you thought it would. Another one is, is big hurts or wounds in the path of life. Not only those things that, that happen as far as just natural consequences, but sometimes it's, it's people's sin, direct things. For most of us, for some of us, we're a small group. So for most of us, it may be that, that you've had more hurts and wounds 
from people wearing the Christian t-shirt than you have had people in San Francisco from the liberal groups or the transgender groups or the whatever your, your bad, hated people are out there. Have they really hurt your life? Or is it people who would say clearly, oh, I'm a Christian? Because maybe just like us, if you've been in ministry very long, that, that's the great majority. That, that's the 98% is, is hurts from people that say they're believers. And so when life doesn't turn out like you thought it would, when big hurts and wounds come, even in the path of obedience. And, and what happens is you start going, God, can't you see? Uh, we're trying to do this. We're trying to do, and, and these people, they're just living for that. And these people, they're just living for that. And we're trying to live this obedient life. We're trying to do this. And those things will cause us to lose heart. If you live long enough, those, those things begin to hit and if those two big categories become a reality, then you begin to step back and think through. So where is God in his faithfulness? What happened to the picture of this family or the picture of our own family or the, fam or the, the idea of our security, the idea of what success would be like, all my hard work in college or all my hard work in a career? And I remember meeting with a guy who he mentors guys and he purposely doesn't mentor guys in 20s and 30s. He wants to get guys in their mid-40s because he says that guys in their mid-40s, what they do is they, they, they have worked. And now all of a sudden, those kids that they were at playing the floor with and doing all the, the games and going all to the performances and all the stuff and spending all their time and all their money, and they get about 45 and they realize, hey, you know what, that one and that one and that one and that, they don't care where I'm at. They don't, they're, they're not interested in me. And then sometimes there's this distance in between them and the wife. And now the career also, they've worked their tail off, felt like they've, they've, they've given their all for this career, and it's not ever turned out on that trajectory exactly like they planned, or even scarier, it has. And you made it to the top, and you find out that climbing that ladder is just as empty as you were when you were 22, wondering if life was going to be filling. So he purposely says, I want to catch guys right there because guys like that, they start looking for off-ramps because life's not fulfilling. Where's God's faithfulness? I, I, I tried. I kept it all together. We stayed married. We raised the kids the right way. We did all the stuff. We provided all this stuff, and they don't care about me. She doesn't care about me. And all I've got from the church is hurt. And he says, man, those guys... It's waiting for an off-ramp. Maybe it's just hobbies. I'm going to get a boat. I'm going to shine up those golf clubs. I'm going to throw my life into this off-ramp over here because the reality is I've lost heart. And it seems like I did everything I was supposed to do, and it hasn't ended up like it was supposed to. Here's another off-ramp of this woman at work or this woman in my life that 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 thinks I'm interesting, thinks I'm funny, thinks I'm attractive. And man, my wife hasn't made me feel like that in years. And so here's an off-ramp. Maybe it's just kind of gambling. Man, it scares me to death because I grew up in Salisaw where they had, you know, paramutual betting. I'm sure we were the demonite of, of you know, U.S. because we had a, a paramutual uh, uh, racetrack. And so in Salisaw, it was either you were a racetrack family, it was a small, or you were not. And, and like everyone was like, you know, the racetrack gets bad, bad, bad. Now, it, it's a click of a button. Like, I sit there on Sundays and watch, uh, I mean, it's college also, but, but, I mean, how many young guys don't have to go and, you know, kind of shamefully drive to the, the betting track or go to this place and have a bookie that you can sit there and they're promoting, and you're like Deion Sanders or something, like he was telling, like, this is the way to live, Kevin Hart. Like, if he's saying it's got to be fun, right? And so just click, and the next thing you know, oh, I lost a little bit. And so all these things that, that are coming in that just off-ramps, Man, I, I, I want to make some extra money. I'm going to find a hobby. I'm going to find a new wife. I'm going to find a new whole direction because I've lost heart. So, so think through that. What, what's going on at that? And Jesus is bringing this idea of there's going to be a tendency for, for his disciples. You're going to go through stuff. You're going to see me killed, and it's going to devastate you. You're going to see persecution immediately. Stephen stands up and starts preaching the, the, the solid gospel. Like Jesus said, hey, the Spirit's going to come upon you. You're going to be my witnesses, and bam, 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 he's dead. Let, let's back up here. You're going to have a tendency to lose heart. Have you ever thought through after Jesus died on the cross, like that next day, like Saturday morning, you think they were all just gathered praying? 
I'm sure, I'm, I would bet that, not all of them, I, there's probably two or three, like, God, I think we're supposed to pray. Like, well, I mean, he's dead. And so, you know, like, and then they're losing heart. So what happened those first few days? What happened even after he ascended? Even after he said to, you know, Peter three times, you know, do you love me? Do you love me? Do you love me? There's going to be a tendency to lose heart because the church was, it was just difficult. Everything was set against it. And Jesus is telling us, don't lose heart. Pray. You, you find me in that. You get me in that. And so um, let's look at those, look, look, some of the characters and the imagery that, that he brings up in this simple, simple story. Um, first of all, just the judge. Notice his, his, this is his story. So he just goes in, but he says this judge who neither feared God nor respected man. And so um, he's going to later use that type of judge as a juxtaposition with, with a type of wise, loving, just God that we have over us. So that's what he's building this picture. But he, he builds into this picture who, who didn't fear God, and this judge who didn't fear God and, and didn't respect man. I don't, I don't care what you think. And so you, you probably know some people of authority who, who they don't. They don't really care what other people think. They don't have to listen to other people. Uh, they're, they're their own authority. Um, and he doesn't even fear God. So a beautiful picture that Jesus does here of, of, of saying, this is, this is what some people in authority are going to be like. And then the widow, she kept coming saying, give me justice against my adversary. And, and we're not given any details of the woman's plight or her background, nor of the nature or the severity of her, adverse, of her adversary. Um, we, we don't have to speculate on that if that's you know, the, the, the people around her. But we know she's a widow. And so in that culture, a widow... Um, th their husband is the one who provided most of the hard labor and provided everything. So for on a day-to-day, -day, it wasn't you go to you know Costco or Sam's and stock up for two weeks. It was day-to-day. -day. And so now the one who had earned that and the one that, that provided the resources for her to, to be able to live off of is, is gone. So she's completely dependent. She's weak. Women had no vote. Women sometimes, still to this day, are looked at as property or just looked at as a devalued piece of property. Um, and, and a great majority of, of the countries over in the Middle East. And so when you see that, it's a picture of loss, a, lo a life of just defined loss. She has no authority. She has no power. She's completely powerless. And so Jesus puts this picture of this one with authority and power and then this one of no authority. And they, they could picture tons of widows like this in their day. No, no provider, no one to care for them. And he, he builds that scene. So what's it like when you have zero influence, zero power, zero ability to bring any kind of change or, or even to make things right? Like no one would listen to you. No one would. It's kind of like if you have a problem with, you know, like AT&T or something, you call and it, it may be seven hours. And at the end, you feel like that, you know, like you, you, you just owed 200 more dollars and you were calling because they made a mistake and they somehow you owed, they owed you 400 or you go in to change something or you're dealing with um, people, those, some of those companies, you feel completely powerless. And it's so frustrating. Why does Jesus, Jesus choose this widow? What's that like to realize and recognize that you have nothing to bring except a, a merciful plea? Just a plea for mercy. That's all you have to bring. It reminds us of the idea of powerlessness because we tend, as Christians, not to see ourselves as that kind of brokenness and powerlessness. We tend, again, in our, our mindset, particularly in an American idea of Christianity, uh, there comes along a little bit of idea of we are. I mean, look at us. Hey, who needs some missionaries? We got the money. We got the people. Hey, who needs this? We've, we've got the money. We've got the power. And so that, that's what we've been for a number of years, right? And so even in our Christian idea, powerlessness is not something that we really view ourselves as. Um, but also notice it reminds us that, that we can remain faithful. Um, Luke's commentary there, he told them a parable to the fact they ought to always pray and not lose heart. This weak, poor, empty, hurting, powerless woman no husband, we're, we're, we just read over it and we're, we're wanting to get to Jesus' point, but what's that like? If you've had a mom or a dad who've lost their, their, their spouse, if you, for a woman to lose her husband, it's very uh, depressing. It's very fearful for some. It causes a lot of anxiety and depression. 
Um, and, and I remember with, with my mom, after my dad passed away, our close family friend doctor had said, he just told my mom, hey, if, if you start noticing you're going really, really down, um, just just mentally, just crying all the time and stuff, just let me know. We, we, we can talk about that. We can talk about you know some, some healthy things that you can do, but also you may need a, a, a tiny bit of a, a little antidepressant that's very, very normal and common. She, oh, no, no, I'll be fine. I'll be fine. I'll be fine. And so we were checking in with her for, you know, week after week and talking with her, and we were only about an hour and a half away, so we were seeing her. And so we were checking, and, and six months later, we're at her house, and she just breaks open and just says, it's been miserable every day. I've been so hurt and so depressed. And I was like, you did every week is like, how are you doing, Mom? Uh, I'm getting by. I'm fine. I'm fine. And then six months later, she's like, I'm completely just in despair. I never knew it was going to hurt this bad. I'm so lonely. Every room I walk into, everything I do, I think of, you know, what we were going to do. And Jesus goes, that, that's how weak and destroyed this person is. Hey, you think they may need prayer? You think that type of person would be a person who needs hope and who needs to not lose heart? So Jesus is trying to picture that. Is that your view of your Christianity? Are you really good at Christianity? And so what happens is this woman, she remained faithful in asking because she understood the authority person that was over her. Remember Matthew 28, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Go and make disciples of all nations. And then he says, Behold, I am with you always to the very end. Same group of people that he's telling this. You're going to need to pray and not lose heart because I'm about to lift off and it's going to get messy for a while. The same thing for us as the church. Um, we've got to think through what happens when we become a person where we, we don't really see ourselves as being that needy, powerless person. Um, and so no, that, that's just the idea of the, the judge and the widow. On the purposeful contrast, Jesus wants to contrast this unrighteous judge with the heart of the heavenly father. The idea is if this non-caring, low compassion, disconnected judge eventually responds to the pleas of the needy, how much more so does a heavenly father respond? A father of infinitely love and of infinite love the one who created your soul, who knows every element about your body, who knows everything about you, who knows your needs, who sees your needs, and not even just your physical needs, but knows spiritually what your heart really needs. And so uh, just a beautiful picture that he, he, he paints there of those who would cry out to the Heavenly Father. Um, and then notice this little small detail, this, this connection where he says, for a while the, the, the unrighteous judge refused. And then after a while, he thinks to himself. But notice those words there. For a while, he refused. So many of you have probably experienced this. Those five words, you don't want to build a theology around it, but it seems like we can pray, and God doesn't just always answer immediately, right? You've probably been through something like that. Um, it, they play a huge part in faith. For a while, maybe God doesn't answer exactly what you wanted, or how you thought he would show up. And so in that time period, well, what are we, Jesus, what's the point? Keep praying. Keep praying. The persistent widow did, and it was unrighteous. Just keep praying and don't lose heart because you've got a good, good heavenly father who loves you. It's going to seem like in this time period that nothing's happening, that, that, that nothing's changing, that things may even look like they're getting worse and worse and worse. Keep praying. In, in your prayer, you get communion with God. Circumstances continue to get crazy, but you're abiding in Christ. You're, you're living with God as the director of all things. You don't have to listen to those other voices because those voices are, voices are getting louder and louder and circumstances worse and worse. And I'm telling you, you're okay. You're okay if you're in the Father, if you're in Christ, that you don't have to lose heart. Um, it doesn't seem that way. But that's it. Because sometimes the, the, one of the details that he brings out here is this idea. Sometimes we, we get the idea that God is kind of bothered by us. He, he paints a picture in this story that the, this, this unrighteous judge, he's bothered and beat down. Well, some of us have this idea of God. It's a faulty view. But depending on your personality type, a lot of times we feel like that maybe God is kind of burdened by us asking 
Maybe God is kind of frustrated. And we know, we, we kind of hear some things about our prayers. That If you're only praying for like, hey, I love the new 2023 BMW, and I love the new houses that are coming out, and I love the new this, and I love this, and I love, and like, yeah, you probably need to you know, have some people help you with prayer. That, that It's not just this, you know, uh, genie in a bottle that you rub the, the flask, and then, then, then he's going to make all these things happen. Um, that, that's not a solid prayer life, but in that, if we feel like that we don't come to God over the little things or big things, we probably may have an understanding that, that we're beating down God w- with, our, with our problems. So that's a faulty idea that comes just from our indwelling sin. And, and the two reasons that comes out is when it comes to big things, um, we don't bother God with the big things immediately because in our own strength, in our maturity, in our intelligence, it feels really good to not have to pray, and we don't say it that way, but I can handle this. A mature Christian, I, I can just answer you. I just know what we're supposed to do. I just have wisdom, and I do these things. Or I know we should do this, we should do this, and we don't have to pray. Because these are big things, and we, we, we don't have to pray because I've got this covered. I'm a, I'm a good, solid Christian. So the idea, if we don't take our time to notice it, is that the stronger you get, the more mature you get, the less you need God. And God never God actually sends stuff into our lives to show us that's not the case at all. You're never getting to the point where you graduate needing God. So with the big things, we, we, we tend to view it that way, that we're not going to bother him. With the little things, the same way, because we, we've got those things. We can fix those easily. I'm wise. I'm smart. I can just have some conversations. I can just fix this problem. I can fix this people's life. I can just meet with them, talk to them a little while, and it will fix the whole situation. Man. You're the God in that situation. You're, you're the God in that situation all the time. And then what do we do when, when your plans and your fixes and your conversations and your own wisdom and your own counsel all fall apart and make it a big, bigger mess? Well, now, now finally we come to God as kind of the, the, the last-ditch effort. Um, it, it always um, is the last good option because we do not want to bother God sometimes. We don't want to beat down God with all of our little pithy um, concerns. And it leads us to not praying, and it leads us to losing heart. And so Jesus is saying to them, small things, big things, you're going to need to be coming to me. And so this whole idea um, is, is focused on the idea of prayer and not losing heart. And we're told that exactly, that's why Jesus addressed this parable to us, we're told exactly why God wanted us to think on this. So again, I would just encourage you to think through what causes you to lose heart? What are some things that, that, that cause you to really lose heart at a deeper level? Like in your personality type, maybe just like, um, just like I, don't, I don't like to go there, don't like to go there, don't like, it may help you spiritually. If you will, just take some time. 10 minutes on Monday, 10 minutes on Wednesday, five minutes on Friday to really think through and ask the Spirit, are there things I'm, I'm guarding myself away from in a bad way where I'm, I'm, I'm not looking at the, the real things? Because when I begin to lose heart, it affects my view of God. And God's the one saying, don't lose heart. Come and experience me and, and not losing heart. And, and what we tend to do is we See, God's unfaithfulness is what we would like to characterize, characterize it as. And then we, we begin to go, since God has not been faithful in providing what I thought was going to happen, the way I thought this should work out, since God hasn't been faithful in that, I'm probably not going to pray. So Jesus knew that was going to happen. It's very common um, for, for, for most people in the church. So he says this, Hear what the unrighteous judge says. Will not God... Give justice to his elect who cry to him day and night? Is he going to delay long over them? I tell you, he will give justice to them speedily. It's not just talking about a case of just justice. He's, he's saying this huge, bigger picture of things that, that are our true needs, are our true um, things that would be right and just in God's sight. So for you, thinking through that, what are the things that affect you losing heart? Is it things like are the current events in the world? Uh, you know, there's every day now more words and rhetoric on wars and more rumors of wars and worse and worse wars. You hear it everywhere. You see it everywhere. Is, is it the current day uh, America, just our, our politics, our government, our leadership, the economy, the recession, uh, the, the security of our future? 
Um, I was talking to a guy uh, this uh, Friday night, and, and so you know he's in the trucking business, and he he said, hey, "Yeah, I don't know what we're going to do. We own a trucking company, and and they're saying that we've got like 23 days left uh, of diesel fuel." So I was like, "So what happens if something doesn't change? He's like it all shuts down." Do you remember during the pandemic, like was it the pandemic, the first few days, toilet paper became like for five days, like you saw all these people hoarding toilet paper and all the stores and all the shelves. And like, man, what happens when it's not only toilet paper, like if trucks shut down, what goes on then? Like you can see. And, and so, man, what voices are you listening to? Because there's a lot of voices sowing a lot of mistrust. There's distrust, there's, there's polarizing powers in media. And remember, before, for centuries, they didn't have newspapers. But now you've got in your phone thousands of media voices on the internet, thousands of media voices, millions of them. So what voices are you listening to? And what, I, what I'm shocked and, and, and kind of worried and concerned about is Christians and the church the voices that they are following and being led by, that is nothing about come and get alone with me and pray to me and don't lose heart. I don't have time for that. There's too much going on. Have you, do you not know? Jesus, do you not know what's going on? We've got some guys in our country who are told, this is what's going to happen. This is what's going to happen. And all this stuff, and all the liberals are doing this or the, the conservatives are doing this. Don't you know? Hey, don't lose heart. Come and pray. What's it been like for China? for the last few centuries. Encouraging place for a Christian? Not at all. But what, what's happening there? What, what's the beauty? You can't stop the gospel. You can't stop the gospel. You, you can try to kill Christianity. You can try to kill the Bible where they can't have it. Uh, when Jamie and I were there, we had to pray in restaurants um, with our eyes open. And the missionary was like, hey, don't, don't close your eyes. Hey, guys, look up here. Look up here. Eyes, eyes. Look, don't close your eyes. There's people over there in the corner. They're watching us because we live here. You guys get to fly home in a few days. We live here. We don't want to be in jail. And so they're like, hey, let's pray with our eyes open. Stop bowing your head and praying. And that may be weird. You may think, oh, gosh, you're, you're with a satanic mission agency. But they were saying, no, we have to do that. But the Father understands that. The Father knows the scenario, and, and the church is thriving there. In the Middle East, some beautiful pictures of what God's doing. In a place where there's a false satanic God that rules the area, and the gospel is thriving and come to, to, to light. Look at South Korea, all that they'd went through. They send more missionaries out than any other country. And, and, and places, have they've tried to put a stamp and, and close off Christianity. And so, America, don't, don't listen to all these voices. You're going to have a tendency to lose heart. Pray. Stop and pray. There's one voice saying, you better pray and not to lose heart. And if we're not careful, we're listening to all these other voices. And maybe your current family, your life situation, just, just some difficulties of it, some struggling, some things that are going on with your own family. Could be health situations. Could be um, just sin situations that have that now begin to bear some fruit. So what's the answer to that? What do we do? Do you go to the internet first? Do you call a friend first? Or are you stopping? This God has all authority in heaven and earth. He said, behold, I'm with you always. I get him in the middle of this, and I'm learning to rest in him instead of listening and resting in these voices. So it's a need to hear the one true voice. Um, in Matthew 7, Jesus says, ask and it will be given to you. So this, remember, this is Matthew 5, 6, and 7, the Sermon on the Mount there. He gets into um, chapter 7. Ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be open. And remember, we're in the city that, that says that, oh, that, that, that's what we live off here in Tulsa. Just ask for whatever you want, right? Um, seek whatever you want and it's going to be given to you. And that, that's not what he's mean. But he's going, if you're praying in line with the will of God, if you're praying in line with what God has clearly shown uh, that he wants to happen in his redemptive historical narrative in the Bible, if you're praying off those things, God's going to bring those things to light. He's going to bring those things to fruition in a way that may surprise you, but you're, you're aligning your life and praying that your life will align with God's will in that. So ask, seek, knock. For everyone who asks, receives. The one who seeks, finds. The one who knocks, it will be opened for you. So are we praying for things 
and asking for things as we pray, are we asking for things that we know align? We had friends who moved from Oklahoma to California, and they moved there so that they could be a part of uh, the Bethel uh, community and all that stuff, but not just because of you know, the, the, the worship stuff. They moved there because there was an undercurrent inside the Bethel organization that was saying, God has spoken to us, and some of us in Bethel, we're going to start taking over all of the government agencies. So governor of California, senators, house representatives, local communities, mayors, all this stuff. And so, um, and, and, and so we're, I was just like, ah, that's probably not going to happen. And so anyway, then they, but they, no, 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 no. We've got video. And so they'd send you video on the phone. Uh, there'd be this little room opened up, and it looked, you could tell it's kind of have a government room. They'd have a, a, a little board room look, looking thing. And there's five or six people, and they had you know, a little, uh, someone's phone playing worship song. And there's four or five people in their worship. like, that's happening inside Washington. It's happening. It's happening. God spoke to us and told us we're about to take over. We're about to, and so all these people, and I know all y'all are probably like, oh my gosh, Bethel, really? Like that, is that who we want? If, if there is some Christians that are taking over those things, is that who we want? You know, so that's a whole nother uh, blog. And so, uh, or 10,000 blogs. And so um, in that, the, the, just this picture, and, and so still you're just going like, I, I, I hate to be the pessimist here, but I just don't think that's happening. And so years have gone by, and guess what? It didn't happen. So, so what's happening there? They're putting their hope in this idea that, that this is the way God's kingdom will, will happen. We're going to take over all these political things. And, and Jesus, was, this has happened century after century after century. The United States is not rare in that. We're not the one that stands out in that at all. That, that we're just like the other nations. That there's going to be a remnant of believers that are going to follow and stay faithful to God, just like the church had to do in the, the early days, just in every other century. China, communist countries, Muslim countries, where it's illegal. And so when those things happen, we don't have to be shocked by them. We don't have to lose our peace, and we don't have to lose our, our mind over that. We can trust. We can ask and seek and, and knock. He says, which one of you, if, he, if his son asks him for bread, will he give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, we'll give him a serpent. If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more would your heavenly Father who is in heaven give good things to those who ask him? So again, what if, what if the things that you're praying for may not be the things that exactly fit the will of God? Are you praying for the spirituality, for people to get saved and for there to be just revival? And does revival have to be tied to your political party? or the government working out, or, or this Supreme Court type thing? Not at all. Revival can happen in hearts. Now, now that form of discipleship happening, that's the way that we can see change, and that's what we want. But we can pray for those things and, and ask for God to bring people to faith in difficult, horrible situations. Let them see the true Christ. Let them understand the true Christ. That's the things that we would pray, asking the Father to do that. Um, in Philippians 4, 5 through 7, if you remember that, that, that famous section, if you want to turn there, I don't think that I had a um, slide. But one of the most encouraging areas uh, concerning prayer. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. And, man, I, I'm looking for those people, right? Or just let your reasonable, reasonableness be known to everyone. Wouldn't you like someone that's not just ranting and raving and all, but, but like just their reasonableness? That's someone to follow. Just they're, 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 they're trustworthy. The Lord is at hand. That, that's what starts out that whole famous section about don't be anxious. The Lord is at hand. Same thing Jesus told them, same thing he was communicating. He's not left. He's not left the room. He, it's not that he doesn't see. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication. With thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And then the peace of God, which comes from resting in God, it surpasses all understanding. It will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. So as we look at that, um, in praying, 
like Jesus told us to do, we get God himself. When you're in the middle of spending time abiding in Christ, praying to God, it will make those big things that seemed so harsh and so insurmountable seem small. It may be a change of some direction that you weren't really wanting. It may be some things that happen that still you wouldn't have asked for to happen. But in the middle of that, you, 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 you rest in God and you're learning to rest and trust in him. It's just like the people of Israel coming out you know, from Egypt and then they get to the, the sea and they're like, oh, great, what are we gonna do now? You've brought us out here and now they're just gonna kill us. God had another plan. God had something else going on. He was still bringing his faithfulness. So can we be a people who do not lose heart and who instead pray, who seek him and truly seek him, not just seek what we want, not just seek what we're expecting to happen, but to, to seek him and enjoy him in that. I'm not going to go on to the, the section because he brings into that idea, nevertheless, when the son of man comes, will he find faith on the earth? So he kind of gets to this into this little parable on God's faithfulness, overcoming our lack of prayer and losing heart, and then he jumps to this cryptic ending. Nevertheless, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on the earth? So in our country, we, 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 could, we, could, we could phrase that and look at it and go, man, is that what's happening with America? It's going to get so bleak and so bad that, man, is he going to come and there's just going to be tiny, tiny bits of faith because this is what has happened with our country? Well, what, what has China experienced for the last several hundred years? What is the Middle East? What is Asia experience? What 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 is the Europe experience for the last um, hundred years? So in all those situations, they they could legitimately ask, like, man, when he finds it, it it's gonna it's gonna be there. The gates of hell are not gonna prevail. But but that may mean that we prepare our children, prepare our families for for a different type of following Christ, a type that's a little more. Um, um, secure in Christ alone and, and not just our, our country providing those things. It may be completely different for, for kids that are, that are two years old now. What, what church looks like, what church looks like in the next 20 years or the 50 years, will we be found faithful? And Jesus isn't saying this as if he doesn't know because he said the gates of hell are not going to prevail against church. But are you becoming a person through praying, resting, abiding, obeying, to where that, that's what you're showing. This is what Christianity is. It doesn't have to look like this specifically as far as a church structure, a government structure, a, a, a socioeconomic structure, but we can still be this people of God that are still faithful and praying and, and asking for those things, but it may be different for your kids growing up and as they have children. So a generation that, that goes into a time period where you can't go, that takes the gospel in there, the pure gospel, We know that his faithfulness will direct us in the church, those who are listening to the Spirit and praying. So I would just encourage you to think through, are you spending time listening or are you spending time listening to all the other voices? It's a rare time in America to where there are so many voices and so many immediate voices. How many people are listening for the Spirit and listening and spending time with God in that? Would you even know if you've already lost heart. If you're a person that's come and goes, man, I, I really didn't even realize it, but I probably have. Some of those categories you mentioned, they've influenced me and I feel like I have lost heart. Are you a person who is praying? Um, I love in a group a couple of weeks ago where people were talking, so yeah, sometimes that's the uh, two or three of us were saying how that, that's kind of the last thing. That, that's an honest thing, but, but we want to change. We want to move to where we're praying more faithfully, not just saying like, yeah, I don't, and just too bad, but, but just, man, we're learning that about ourselves, that we need to be stronger in that. Um, are you always just fixing or, or researching or just talking about your own opinions, or are you praying and communing with God who has all authority over all things? It leads to resting and not losing heart. And so in this small little parable, Jesus wants us to understand the beauty of this wonderful sovereign God who has all authority, who has not left us. Um, as things change, whether it's globally, whether it's um, nationally, whether it's um, in our own communities, whether it's your own family, that he's still the same God. He hasn't left us. 
He sees what we're going through, just as everything that we've read about him in the Bible and his faithfulness shows us and reveals um, that we can still be a people who pray and seek him and, and find him as our reward. And so um, those disciples would walk away from that and then after him being crucified would be thinking through that's what he was talking about. We're going to have a tendency to lose heart. Let's go and let's pray. And so you see in the book of Acts, prayer begins to direct the church. Prayer begins to direct all the things. They would gather together for prayer. So they learn the lesson after the Holy Spirit comes and brings them to that place. So let's be a people that can continue to persevere, that can continue to go on and not lose heart. Let me pray and then we'll uh, uh, go to our last song and then the Lord's Supper. Father, we uh, thank you for being a God who is faithful, who knows all perfect justice, who flows to us all avenues of holiness and righteousness. And Father, we fail thousands of times every week, and yet you're still merciful. You're still um, slow to anger. You're still forgiving. You're still so gracious with us. So we ask for you to help us to be a people that respond to all of those graces on our lives, to be a people of prayer, to be a people seeking you. Father, we as a small little church plant in a, in a rough area could feel like this widow, this, this powerless um, widow with only weakness, with, with no strength, no influence, no power. But God, you, you, you tend to use those type things to bring yourself glory. And so we pray that you would allow us to be a people, each, each individual person in the body of Christ that is resting in you, trusting in you, spreading that to the people around us spreading that to the people in our neighborhoods, in our community, our workplaces, um, our schools, the different things that we're, we're experiencing, that we would be a people who are able to point people to resting in you, that would pray with people, that would pray for people, and that would truly be a light in the middle of a dark world. We trust in your faithfulness, not our own good works. We pray that you'd help us to enjoy you as the reward as we pray. In your name we pray, amen.